lecture number two the representative system in russia by p n milyukov from russian realities and problems lectures delivered at cambridge in august nineteen sixteen this librivox recording is in the public domain the duma is dead long live the duma i wonder whether you know ladies and gentlemen just when this historic phrase was pronounced by the late sir henry campbell bannerman some members of the first russian legislative assembly had just come to london in july nineteen o six as representatives attending the interparliamentary union for arbitration when they learnt that the assembly they represented was dissolved the duma the first russian duma was dead it died while attempting to regenerate the political and social life of russia on a completely new and largely democratic basis autocracy and landed nobility the two chief agencies of historical russia though decaying had proved too strong for the newly born national representation the conflict between the new and the old did not even last long the important work performed by the first duma was done by it in an existence of only seventy-three days then the government in order to have a more subservient chamber used all their power in influencing the elections for the second duma the result was just the opposite of what they expected instead of a strongly constitutional duma with a constitutional democratic majority a socialistic and revolutionary duma was returned with no majority at all for the government if you will look at these figures which show the composition of the first and second duma you will see the difference exactly in the first duma the so-called cadets or constitutional democrats numbered a hundred and eighty-seven and in the second duma the representatives of socialism in both its forms of agrarian and urban socialism formed the majority of one hundred and eighty this duma knew its weakness very well and tried to keep clear of any direct conflict with the government but it was useless this chamber too was dissolved after one hundred and three days of existence it was a dramatic struggle that struggle which was carried on by those two dumas and it was observed with keen sympathy and followed with the closest attention by the whole civilized world the duma was dead again but long live the duma the memorable greeting of sir henry campbell bannerman while it acknowledged the crisis through which the young russian representative institutions were passing expressed at the same time the firm belief that the russian constitution could not be destroyed either by the whim of single persons or even by the mistakes of its own political inexperience the duma has lived on but the first the heroic age of its life was really at an end thenceforward the duma was to live in obscurity after a few months of meteoric splendor there followed long years of a very modest existence i should call the second age of the duma's life that of political mimicry the duma with its changed composition tried to adapt itself to its political environment the new majority renounced bold schemes for the general reform of russia and devoted themselves to the rather ungrateful task of self-preservation the duma was still interesting to observe at close quarters but it was much more difficult to admire and indeed was thought negligible as an agent in russian politics i suppose that is why the russian duma since nineteen o seven has been nearly lost sight of by the world 
i am going to speak to you about this the unknown duma of the last ten years which include the action of the third duma from nineteen o seven to nineteen twelve and the fourth duma which was elected in nineteen twelve and will expire in nineteen seventeen i shall try to explain to you just why the russian duma was unable to take a more prominent place in russian political life just what it lacks in order to become a real and strong representative of the people at the same time you will see i hope that in spite of all drawbacks and deficiencies the duma has contrived to make itself an indispensable engine in the national life that it soon struck root in the country and that it retains the vital essence inherent in the very principle of national representation what is the chief difference between the two first and the two second dumas and what is the precise reason of this difference first and foremost it was the change in the electoral law that opened a chasm between these two groups of dumas at the time of the dissolution of the second duma on june sixteenth nineteen o seven an edict was issued contrary to a fundamental law that is to say without the approval of the duma itself which entirely changed the composition of that body the political parties which had built up the majority in the first two dumas were proclaimed illegal on the alleged pretext that their program was to fortify the constitution by revolutionary means the settled composition of the duma was curtailed in parts which were considered to be unreliable thus the number of polish deputies was diminished and the asiatic provinces were deprived of all representation then and this is the chief point the political centre of gravity was transferred from the democratic groups of population to the higher social classes which were believed to be more reliable look at the figures which show the social composition of the duma before and after nineteen o seven these two sets of figures explain everything you see that in the first two dumas the relative majority of forty three per cent was composed of peasants but that fifty one per cent that is to say an absolute majority consisted of the landed gentry in the second two dumas that as i say explains everything before nineteen o seven it was the peasants who were favored by the electoral reform they were supposed to represent the conservative and traditional basis of the national life the gentry were regarded at that time as exponents of modern liberal tendencies owing to their foreign education but when the first and second dumas proved that the peasants were strongly inclined to agrarian revolution the government transferred their confidence to the small but influential group of reactionary landlords who succeeded in organizing themselves under the name of the united nobility i have used an english word gentry but i must point out the difference which exists between the russian gentry and the english our gentry are much more dependent upon the government having been liable in ancient times to military service and having received their lands as recompense after the reforms of peter the great the same class entered the civil service and here too they depended on the government for promotion from grade to grade from chin to chin as we say in russia and hence they are called chinovniks men of the grades now if you consider the social position of the different political parties in the third duma you will see at once which of the parties was thought to be most dependent on the government and therefore most reliable it was that party which contained the largest number of the landed gentry 
i shall leave out the polish deputies of whom in the third duma eighty-two per cent were nobles the poles whatever their views on social questions belonged to the opposition because the government would not yield to them on the matter which chiefly interests them i e the future organization of poland but let me draw your attention to three groups the octoberists named from the manifesto which granted the constitution in october nineteen o five the nationalists and the rights in these three groups the landed nobility form fifty seven forty eight and forty four per cent respectively and these are the groups most favoured by the government in the two later dumas we must take a brief survey of their characteristics the octoberists claim to be constitutionalists but the nationalists and particularly the right group are unwilling to admit that autocracy has ever been limited by the constitution and their extreme wing even strives for the restoration if necessary by violent means of the autocratic form of government which existed previous to the october manifesto the octoberists are chiefly the party of former bureaucrats and functionaries by their previous avocations they are much better prepared for legislative work and at the same time they are much more subservient to the government whilst both the nationalists and the right group include more democratic elements peasants and priests together with the gentry and are less ready to be led and less prepared to lead in matters of politics after the dissolution of the second duma the cabinet with the late premier stolypin at their head were inclined at first and by way of transition to lean on the octoberists but political agencies behind the cabinet together with the powerful ring of the so-called united nobility would have preferred to join forces immediately and openly with the avowed partisans of autocracy the whole internal policy of russia as well as the internal history of the duma during the last decade reflected the struggle between these two tendencies with the government's aid the octoberists prevailed at the elections to the third duma at which the edict of june sixteenth nineteen o seven was first applied in this chamber the government used its influence much increased by means of the edict on the one hand to paralyze the opposition and on the other to keep up a steady control over the extreme right element the uncompromising revolutionaries of reaction the right and the nationalists did not exist at all as political parties in the country it was only after the elections within the duma itself that they took shape the general result of the elections on the basis of the electoral edict of june sixteenth nineteen o seven is shown in this table as you see the result did not quite correspond with the government designs the illegal parties of the opposition were present to the rather significant numbers of a hundred and forty six and one hundred and fifty two this opposition had to sustain various attacks on the part of the right groups particularly during the first year of the chamber nevertheless the opposition succeeded in keeping its head above water then it quickly mastered the situation and soon the octoberists and central group in order to secure a majority found themselves bound to go with the opposition in many cases in committee work in budget questions in international questions in questions of popular education in a number of religious issues and sometimes even on constitutional points the result was that in the second half of the life of the third duma 
the government turned their backs on the octoberists mr stolypin now tried to approach the nationalists the more conservative group by that time rumours were rife again that a coup d'etat was in preparation the third duma however was permitted to live up to the end undestroyed but at the election for the fourth duma fresh exertions were made by the government in order to defeat the octoberists and it now became their turn to fall into opposition the negative aim of the government was to defeat the octoberists and this task was easy because the octoberists had made themselves exceedingly unpopular in the country by their subservience to the government in the third duma it was far more difficult to attain the positive aim that of electing a nationalist majority the octoberists were defeated but there was nobody to take their place there was no majority in the fourth duma as the nationalists even with government aid did not succeed in getting a majority the opposition reappeared in slightly increased numbers while the octoberists left to themselves and deprived of the element of discipline which they had owed to government protection fell to pieces there were now three different groups the central the left and the right wing with a composition like that the fourth duma seemed unable to live and it would have been dissolved if only its existence had been considered of any consequence at that time but just owing to its entire lack of power the fourth duma was suffered to live and the government only tried to use the opportunity in order again to circumscribe and limit the rights of the chamber here however they met with opposition a majority which was not to be found for constructive work was forthcoming in the fourth duma when such matters as the right of interpolation or the right to legislative initiative or even the freedom of parliamentary speech were questioned by the government about two years ago for the first time during the existence of the duma some votes of credit were refused to the government as a means of political resistance and the vote of disapproval was carried by a majority such was the state of the internal struggle when the present war began with this war all internal strife was postponed by the same majority in order to devote themselves to the one task of carrying the external struggle to decisive victory only two months ago you saw here in england representatives of all parties in the fourth duma and they appeared before you as they are now in their own country united by one aim to make national defence as efficient as possible i have given here only a few hints as to the internal story of the last two dumas but they are sufficient to show you two things first how difficult it was for the government to secure a majority to their taste and second just how much the representatives of the nation were handicapped in their endeavours for the regeneration of their country it will help you to a still clearer understanding of the situation if you make yourselves acquainted with the structure of legislative institutions in russia let us begin with the electoral law bismarck is said to have called the prussian electoral system the most wretched in the world i should think that the austrian system before nineteen o five before the granting of universal suffrage was still worse than the prussian and i may say that the russian system is much worse than the austrian the system of russian representation is purely artificial and depends entirely on the government for voting purposes the population is distributed into separate groups called curias the principle accepted in russia is this the more democratic and numerous the group is the more their electoral power is limited 
there are three curias in the towns and as many in the country the least democratic the moderate and the most democratic thus for the towns these are one wealthy capitalists two the middle class of citizens three the working classes and for the country districts one the large landed proprietors two small landed proprietors three the peasants of the russian communities the vote except in six large cities like petrograd moscow kiev odessa and so on is not recorded by the constituencies themselves but by special electors chosen by the constituencies the number of electors given to the various constituencies varies in opposite proportion to the number of the population thus for instance one-fifth of a million of landed gentry have the right to choose two thousand five hundred and ninety four electors one half million of wealthy citizens choose seven hundred and eighty eight electors eight millions of the middle class choose only five hundred and ninety electors twelve millions of working men choose a hundred and twelve electors seventy million peasants choose one thousand one hundred and sixty eight it works out at one elector for every two hundred and thirty of the landed gentry for every thousand wealthy citizens for every fifteen thousand middle-class citizens for every sixty thousand peasants and for every one hundred twenty-five thousand working men the former austrian system was more liberal as it gave one elector for every sixty-four noblemen twenty-three wealthy citizens three thousand one hundred seventy-one middle-class citizens and eleven thousand five hundred fifty-five peasants now let us come to the highest electoral unit the provincial electoral assembly where the electors for the duma are chosen there are about fifty of them in russia you see from this plan that in order to become an elector in that assembly one must pass through different stages of election and the more democratic the voter is the more stages have to be passed the peasants choose their electors in the village these electors are sent to the townships in the township they elect to the district the second-degree electors who in the district choose the third-degree electors who finally go to the provincial assembly and elect members for the duma from the province there are three stages of election for small landed proprietors the preparatory the district and the provincial assemblies but only two for the large landowners who choose their electors in the district to elect deputies in the province it is the same for the wealthy class of the capitalists they choose their electors who choose the deputies in their provincial assembly it is the same for the middle class of citizens but for the working men there are again three stages they choose their electors in the factories and these come to the district assemblies where they choose their electors for the provincial assemblies thus six groups of electors meet in the general assembly of the province and they elect members of the duma from their majority which chiefly consists of landlords and capitalists sometimes with the addition of small landowners and middle-class citizens the influential group of large landed proprietors and capitalists before electing members of their own class is obliged to elect one peasant and one workingman member from each province thus neither peasant electors nor working men within the assembly have the right to elect separately whom they like best their vote is drowned in that of the majority you can imagine the result the landed proprietors of course elect such peasants as are likely to comply with their interests which gives to the duma the worst representation of the peasant class 
this explains how it could happen in the third and fourth dumas that the peasants entirely changed their position they had been in the ranks of opposition in the first and the second duma they now sit on the benches of the government parties it is not quite so bad with working men because every representative of the working men is invariably a socialist in russia thus it is quite impossible for the capitalists to elect a non-socialist member russia is the only place in the world i suppose where the bourgeois and the junkers are obliged to elect socialist members i must add first that every citizen who enjoys the right to vote may at any time under this or that particular pretext which are unhappily too many to be enumerated here be struck off the electoral list and secondly that if a majority in a district or provincial assembly is not quite to the taste of the government the local authorities have the right to redistribute the voters and in such a way as to secure artificial majorities if you consider all these things you may wonder how it happens that in spite of all there is still an opposition in the duma and that this opposition even formed one-third of the third and the fourth dumas the answer is first that the six large cities which have the direct vote have always elected opposition members and in the second place owing to the peculiarly democratic composition of the population in the extreme north and in east russia between the volga and the ural mountains the deputies who are elected there always belong to the opposition footnote in that part of russia the landed nobility is mainly non-resident and peasants form the great majority of the population End footnote siberia on the other side of the urals has always belonged to the cadet party and the caucasus has always been represented by socialists on the other hand central russia is represented in the duma mainly by the parties of the landed gentry chiefly by octoberists as to the nationalists the most conservative group they regularly come to the duma from the western frontier and partly from the south where national antagonisms are more keenly felt the deputies representing the russian dominating nationality in these countries form a thin upper social stratum and they always carry on a somewhat bitter struggle with the more ancient and sometimes more cultured members of the polish gentry that is why they bring with them to the duma feelings of religious and racial hatred which unhappily sometimes find expression in the legislation of that body the local peasant population is russian but as we already know the power of their vote is exceedingly limited such as come to the duma invariably share the views of their landlords and sit on the same benches now we come to the rights which the duma possesses the duma has got the power to legislate the power to vote the budget and the power to control the administration full power to legislate does not belong to the russian duma entire branches of legislation and sometimes very important branches are withdrawn from its competence thus the right to legislate in military matters has always been withheld although the duma did very much to improve the state of the russian army and navy a few years before the war the right to legislate in questions of church administration is also a subject of dispute although the duma claims nothing more than what the government has always possessed in matters of religious legislation since the time of peter the great further the duma is thwarted by the indiscriminate use of imperial acts and orders in council there is one case in which the law expressly allows emergency legislation 
this is when the duma is not sitting you can however hardly imagine how much this article eighty seven is misused for matters not at all urgent at times when the presence of the duma is not desired we even had a case of the prorogation of the duma and of the council of empire for three days in order to carry through without the legislative assembly a very important law the curtailment of the control of the duma over the budget is perhaps even more serious it is particularly here that the feeling of distrust toward the young representative body has guided the government in the making of our constitution in the first place all the expenses which were customary before the granting of the constitution in nineteen o five were considered sacrosanct and not to be touched they are specially protected from the hasty influence of budget legislation footnote this is the mock term borrowed from naval terminology armor-plated by the opposition and now in general use End footnote. doubly protected are the expenses for the court and imperial family the yearly interest on the state loans and so on in the budget of nineteen o eight these protected items amounted to one billion one hundred and sixty four million roubles i e they made up forty seven per cent of the whole of the budget expenses if you consider that out of the remaining fifty three per cent the non-protected expenses a large part cannot be exactly determined in advance as they belong to different branches of the state economy and can only be approximately estimated at the beginning of the year you will see how small the financial power of the duma really is but that is not all even if its members should try to use their rights in order to reject some non-protected item of expense such an item as had already figured in the previous year's budget in that case the only result would be that the figure of the previous year's budget would be substituted it is only entirely new and unprecedented expenses which can be struck out of the budget with practical results but the most important thing is that the permission of the duma can be evaded altogether for all expenses necessary for war and also for preparations for war and even in all cases of urgent necessity you can easily guess what happens when circumstances like the present occur in such cases the regular budget does not at all reflect the real state of things also in such important matters as signing commercial treaties giving concessions for the construction of railways determining the details of a foreign loan and the tariffs and so on the duma is not asked to give its help and consent we find the same thing when we come to the third chapter of the duma's rights the control of the administration it is a right which is especially important in russia owing to the habit of lawless and arbitrary action inveterate in russian administration but the representative system is quite incompetent to tackle it according to the law the duma has the right to interpolate and ask questions and the government is bound to return answers within a month but even supposing that an interpolation on current events preserves its interest after a month and still draws the attention of the public which is not often the case and supposing that the answer of the government has proved unsatisfactory what is the result it is no use carrying through the duma sweeping orders of the day expressing strong disapproval perhaps of the whole administration the cabinet is not responsible to the elected chamber 
the question of ministerial responsibility is i might say the most delicate and the most burning question of the present day in russia for while concerted action is a crying need nothing except an occasional coincidence of opinion is possible under the present system but however much these obstacles hinder the working of the representative system there remains one more obstacle to be mentioned and that is perhaps the most serious of all i mean the composition and working of our upper house the council of empire i know the alternatives proposed in england under similar circumstances although i can hardly call them similar mend it or end it well we cannot possibly end it mend it that sounds all right but the lower house cannot apply this practical remedy in russia because the chief features of the constitution the upper house is included are protected by fundamental laws and the initiative in every important change belongs to the monarch what then does this upper house represent i am afraid it is a chamber unique in the world half the members are nominated by the tsar chiefly from former officials i do not wish to be disrespectful many glories of the past are contained in our upper chamber but as our historical life began late and develops quickly one is startled to see under the peaceful roof of the marinsky palace men and names which remind one of political standards long since doomed to oblivion and of political experiments proved inadequate by painful failures too much of the past surviving in the present makes one feel uneasy of course it would be unjust not to mention that there are many excellent legislators amongst the councillors men of profound knowledge and very large experience perfectly acquainted with the technicalities of legislation but there is one circumstance which prevents them from being able to express their mind freely and independently and makes them bow to the average standard of the assembly every nominated member of the upper house can be removed from the house by the simple process of omitting his name from the list published at the beginning of every year the elected half of the members of the council of empire represents by a large majority the class of large landed proprietors the most influential part of the russian nobility the nobility is represented directly by eighteen members as well as indirectly through the representatives of the zemtsvos who number fifty one may add to these sixty-eight members representing the upper social stratum six dignitaries of the church which makes a solid majority of seventy-four out of the whole number of ninety-eight elected members on the side of conservatism there remain twelve representatives of commerce a rather inadequate representation of capital if compared with that of the landed interest and six intellectuals representing the learned order of the academy of science and the universities and these generally form the extreme left wing in the council of empire six members for poland here as well as in the duma take an intermediate position between the two wings the activities of such an upper house are directed as might be imagined not only the duma but even the cabinet even the ministers are often considered too liberal by the council of empire every law which bears as they say the stamp of the thirtieth of october the date of the constitutional manifesto is sure to fall through or to be relegated to the archives of the upper chamber one must not forget that no bills are able to reach the upper house unless they have previously been approved by a majority of the duma 
you will see for yourselves what are the prospects of constructive and of liberal legislation in russia as on the other hand the existence of the duma does not admit of any reactionary legislation the practical upshot is that all legislation of a constructive character is entirely paralyzed a state of things which cannot but be transitional well that is all now but if you should think that with all these restraints which are intended to hedge round and prevent the free play of our young representative institutions we are driven to something like despair of their future development you would be very much mistaken on the contrary we are very hopeful particularly when we consider how much has been done in the line of constitutional practice and the political development of large masses in the very short space of ten years during which our representative institutions have existed not only have we kept them alive in spite of all attempts of autocratic conspirators to abolish them but we have found a steadily growing support in the country for a system of liberal policy we have seen our political parties even the more conservative and those which had been artificially built up with the aid of the government one by one yielding to the claims of the country the present war did very much to reveal that hidden process and make the result clear to everybody i have told you already that this war has united us in the general aim of victory i must say now that the war has done more than that it has really worked miracles it taught the united fourth duma the best means to obtain their general aim it taught us that in order to be strong the nation must be thoroughly organized in the fourth duma whose composition you know there is now a strong majority three hundred and fifteen members out of the whole number of four hundred and forty for a scheme of constructive policy on a liberal basis that is what is known under the name of the progressive bloc this majority moreover has not only talked and discussed it has already begun to act the session of the duma that ended a month ago on the third of july has already enacted by way of parliamentary initiative such measures as the prohibition of alcoholic drink for all time to come this had been introduced by an imperial ukase for wartime but it is now confirmed and extended beyond the war by the law of the duma they have passed another law for the equalization of the rights of the peasants in their committees they have prepared important drafts of laws extending the franchise and the functions of both semstvas and cities and these will come before the whole house at the beginning of the next session i e in the autumn of nineteen sixteen lord robert cecil told you in his inaugural address at this summer meeting that british political conceptions of freedom and justice appealed to russian ideas well i am here to witness that they do appeal to the russian representative assembly i had personally to report to the duma in the last days of its closing session the experience brought back by our parliamentary delegation from great britain two months before particularly as to some national questions and i can tell you that the chamber was very much impressed by what we had to tell and that this impression will be reflected in future legislation my time is up ladies and gentlemen permit me again to quote the words of lord robert cecil it may be truly said that freedom is as much admired in russia as in england yes ladies and gentlemen it may be truly said that we worship freedom we are worthy of freedom we shall have freedom long live the duma end of lecture two